Well, as we enter the end of May and come into June, this is wedding season. And uh, so I just thought I'd show you the picture of an amazing couple that just got married not too long ago. Okay, maybe like 31 years ago. Um, yeah, who are those two young people, right? Yeah, we thought we had the world by the hand back then. Um, it was interesting, after our wedding, one of my cousins came up to me and said, Wow, Brad, I felt like I was at a mini musical. And the reason why she felt like we were, she was at a mini musical is because we had five special numbers, songs in our wedding. Terry sang to me, I sang to her. I know, I know that's hard to believe. Yes, I used to be able to sing a little bit. Um, then a group that Terry, high school group that Terry had chaperoned, they had gone overseas. They were a singing group from the Wilmer area. Uh, they had sang a song. Uh, and then a couple who was good friends of both Terry and I, who I had uh, traveled with, and I went to college with Jim, they sang a song. And then another friend of ours uh, sang a song. So we had five, five special songs. We had three pastors officiate. You know, Terry and I are just like, go big or go home, right? We had lights running up and down the aisle and lights up and around the cross. Um, yeah, the ceremony took a good hour something. Today, things are a little different. I can do a wedding in 30 minutes or less. Uh, gone are the days of special music. Uh, sometimes they have special music, but it's basically, you know, from the time you get grandma and grandpa down the aisle until the time they're walking out the aisle is done. It, it's like 25, 30 minutes. And, you know, and that includes a message by me. I know some of you are going, yeah, right, Brett, you can do a message that short. Um, yes, I can. Uh, that includes vows. That includes some jokes to get everybody to laugh. Um, the weddings are different today than even when Terry and I got married, and um, they were way different back in the day. And today, as we talk about the covenant of love, which is the title of our message today, I'm going to have us take a look at what an ancient Eastern wedding process was like. And what I want you to notice as we talk through this um, thing, you know, I'm sorry, but I just have to say this. Um, you would save, you know, my neck muscles. All of you could fit like right here, but you're all over. Sorry, just had to say that. If you feel like moving in, you know. Um, but ancient, uh, ancient Eastern weddings were a week-long affair. So when you went to a wedding, it wasn't just you go for a quick ceremony and then you wait and have a meal and the dance and all that kind of stuff. It was a week long. And so we're, we're still in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians and we're talking about the Lord's Supper 
And if you remember last week, part of talking about the Lord's Supper, uh, these people are saints right here. I just want you to know that. <laughs> um, the, the Lord's uh, Supper, the problem was when people were coming to the Lord's Supper back in the church in Corinth is they were coming divided. And if you remember, we talked about how uh, Paul was speaking against that and saying, that's not what the Lord's Supper is about. The Lord's Supper is everybody coming together. And we reflected on the cross, and the cross is the place where everyone is equal. So as we talk about ancient Eastern weddings today, um, it's crazy on the number of steps that they walk through, but I want you to think about the relationship between Jesus Christ and the church, bride and groom, as we talk about this. The first thing that we notice about ancient Near Eastern weddings is this. They are arranged, and this is nothing new. We, we know that. It, this marriage between a man and a woman, it, most of the time it wasn't something that, you know, a, a guy and a gal got together and they fell in love, you know, it was this big romantic thing. It was mom and dad making a decision, and there was reasons why they did that. And it was, it was less about, you know, trying to create... You know, you know, you have to marry this person or, you know, you're a bad person. And it was more about what is the best for my son or what is the best for my daughter. And part of that best was you, you wanted them to marry into a good family, a family of good status and good character because especially... For the daughter, the daughter was literally leaving the household that she grew up in, and she was now going to be a part of this household here. So you wanted your daughter, daughter to step into a household that was a good household. And so it wasn't just, you have to marry this person. It was, this is the best person for you. The marriage was arranged. The second thing is that there's this betrothal. Betrothal is similar to our engagement, um, but the main difference is in the betrothal, the, the woman was considered, uh, I mean, it was a legal agreement. She was legally the wife of this person, only even if they haven't done the the marriage vows, but there was a, a legality there that now this woman belonged to this household, even though she wasn't a part of this household. And that's why for Joseph, when he found out that Mary was pregnant, he was considering whether he should divorce her because there was a legal agreement in this betrothal. But there's something really interesting about the betrothal ceremony that would happen you see, when the agreement was made and they just, the two families decided that these two young people were going to come together, well then the father of the groom and the groom-to-be would go to the house of the bride. And the father, once he got there, the father would bring, get out a cup and he would get out some wine and he would fill the wine in the cup and he would give it to his son who is the groom. 
And then the groom would give it to the bride-to-be, and he would say something like, this is the cup of a new covenant that I make with you today. I will not drink from this cup again until we drink it together in my father's house. Then he would take a drink, and then he would hand it to the young woman. Now, the woman had a decision there. If she chose to drink it, she was saying yes to this covenant relationship. I am going to be betrothed to this person. I am going to step into this engagement. If she pushes the cup away and says no, she was saying no to the covenant relationship. Now, all of the pre-work had been done by the arrangement, so you know, rarely, if at all, did a woman refuse the betrothal. But notice a cup with some wine, drinking, giving, receiving. After the betrothal came the preparation. The preparation is the groom now goes back to his father's house to prepare a room for him and his bride-to-be. Now the son didn't really know for sure how long it was going to take him to prepare this room because it was really up to the father as to how long it would take for the room to be prepared. So the father could just let the son do it all by himself, or the father could help. The son could do it and be done, and the father could go, wow, that's great, you're ready, the room is ready, let's go get to your bride. Or he could go, yeah, really, you call this a room prepared for your bride? Yeah, start over. You see, there was more to this preparing of the room than just a room being ready. Part of it was the father determining is my son ready to take on this role? The bride and her family really had no idea either of when the room would be ready and when the groom would come. But the bride had to be prepared. She had her own preparation to do, and she had to be ready for that day when the groom would come and take her home. I mean, when you you think about that, now all of a sudden the parable of the ten virgins and their oil lamps and being ready, it, it makes a little more sense because... There's a reason why. It's not like today where you plan out six months, a year, a year and a half ahead, and here's the wedding date. It was as a bride, you sat there and waited. You knew you were betrothed, but you had no idea when your groom was going to come and get you. Once the house was prepared, then the groom and his family would all go to the bride's place for the ceremony. And when that happened, then it was time for the consecration, and this was the consecration of the bride. 
This was a matter of making her ready, purifying her emotionally, physically, spiritually. It was a ceremony. There was a process. Now that the groom had arrived and it was time for the ceremony, now it was for the bride to be set apart, to be consecrated. And then after the bride has been consecrated, then the shofar would be blown, which was a ram's horn, and it was used to signal battle, but it was also used in celebrations. But when, so when the groom has arrived and the bride has been consecrated, then the horn is sounded and the ceremony begins. The bride and groom would then gather under a hoopah. I know it looks like Chupa, but it's hoopa. The hoopa was a canopy that they would stand underneath as the family was all gathered together and as the rabbi stood before them, and the hoopa represented the presence of God. And so you formalize this covenant surrounded by the presence of God. This covenant relationship is a holy relationship. And in the midst of the ceremony, the ketubah would be brought forth, and the ketubah is kind of the vows, and the groom prepares the vows. And what the ketubah was is seven to twelve items that would represent kind of the foundational pieces of what the groom saw their marriage and their relationship to be like. It was kind of like the main tenets that their marriage would be built on. The groom would be saying, these are the things that are priority for me. And so when you make a vow with me, when you step into this covenant relationship with me, you're not only saying yes to me, you're saying yes to the ketubah, these vows. Then after the ketubah, the... Um, would be the consummation of the marriage. And this would happen right away before the celebration. And this was the final binding together. They've been bound together emotionally and spiritually, and now they are bound together. And then the dowry is exchanged. And this was the bride price that was agreed on beforehand. It was the cost that the groom would pay to the bride, the groom's family to the bride's family, and now the marriage is official. And I think one of the best things of the Eastern marriage is the honeymoon year. The honeymoon year meant that really in that year, because it was a new relationship, because they didn't have this dating, courting thing, because of this new relationship, this honeymoon year was a year where the, the man and the woman, the group and the bride, would finally get to know each other. So the groom didn't have to go and work in the field. The groom didn't go off to battle the groom didn't do all that. The main focus for the groom that first year was to get to know his bride. <laughs> yes. Great question. The question is, did the bride have to cook? I don't think so. 
I would hope not, right? Absolutely. This marriage process that we see before us is really a foreshadowing of the covenant relationship between Christ and the church, His bride. You maybe have already been picking up on some of those things as I've been talking about this. Some of those go, oh yeah, that makes sense. The first element of this is the arrangement. The, the arrangement between Christ and the church, the arrangement is this, that uh, you are a child of Christ. And in fact, in Genesis 1.27, it says this. It says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. From the beginning of time, a relationship between God and mankind was part of the deal. We all, whether we realize it, have a longing for this relationship with God. It was arranged from the beginning. This is why Psalms 119, the psalmist says, uh, You knew me when I was in my mother's womb. You, you planned my life out before I was even born. It's Ephesians 2.10, we are Christ, God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to walk in good works. It's an arrangement. You are chosen by God. The covenant relationship between you and God, between the church and Christ, is intentional. It is arranged. The second thing is the betrothal. The betrothal is the groom coming to us. We are betrothed to Christ. It is a done deal. It's a legal binding thing. Um, Ben, my phone is going wacky, so you're going to have to take control. I was trying to control the slides from my phone, but... John 1.14 says this, The Word became flesh and blood, this is the message version, and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. This is the picture of the groom coming to the bride, the groom coming to us and inviting us into a covenant relationship with him. It is our text from 1 Corinthians 11, starting with verse 23, which says this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread and he had given thanks. He broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me, for whenever you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until I come. Just like the groom giving the cup to his bride and saying, this is is a new covenant that I'm making with you. That's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is saying, this is the new covenant which is in my blood. The betrothal happens in the choice for us 
as the bride is, will we receive that cup? Will we drink of that cup? And when we drink of that cup, we are saying yes to the covenant. In a few minutes when we take communion, that's what we'll be doing. We'll be, Jesus is already offering the cup, and when we take communion, it is us remembering that we have received that cup, that we have taken it, and we have said yes to the covenant relationship with Jesus. In Matthew 26, 29, Jesus says these words. He says, I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. That's the promise of Jesus. He has made a covenant relationship with us. And he's not going to drink from the fruit of that vine, from that cup, again until we are with him in his Father's house. Jesus has gone to prepare a place for you and me. It is the time of preparation. The groom has gone back. When Jesus Christ died and rose again, he went back to the Father's house to prepare a place for you and me. Jesus says in John 14, 1, he says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with, uh, and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. There's the promise. When we're here sharing in this cup, the covenant, it is remembering that right now Jesus is preparing a place for us and he will come back for his bride. He will come back for us. Next is the consecration is what we talked about. That's the preparation of the bride. And now is the time of consecration. Now is the time for us to be consecrated. We, it's time for us to be prepared emotionally, spiritually, physically for when the groom comes for us. That is what we are to be doing right now. Paul says in Romans 12, 1, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view in God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and prove what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Do you see the consecration, the preparation? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is our, our worship, part of our spiritual worship. We are to be preparing for Christ's return. The ketubah, which is the vows, which is the items that the groom brings. These are the foundation of our relationship. God has, or Jesus has given us his ketubah. 
If you go to the Old Testament, you see the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are the ketubah. That's what Moses brought down to Israel, to the Israelites. He brought them the Ten Commandments. This is the foundation for this relationship between me and you. Now, think about Moses coming down the mountain with the vows, the ketubah, for the Israelites. And the Israelites are worshiping a golden calf. The Israelites had been betrothed to God and they were already saying no to the covenant. Why was God so angry? For us, the ketubah is the command and the commission. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Saying yes to the covenant, drinking the cup, is me saying, yes, the foundation of my life is to love God and to love others as I love myself. And again, the example that Jesus has for loving others is loving my enemies. It's loving the least of these. It's loving the people who maybe persecute me. That is the foundation of what it means to be in a covenant relationship with Jesus. It is also the great commission to go and make disciples. We are to be reconcilers. We have been reconciled to God. We are to go and reconcile others to God through Christ Jesus. That's part of our covenant relationship. So taking the cup is more than just getting into heaven. Taking the cup is me saying yes to the ketubah that Jesus has brought to us. And that is, I commit to love God and to love others, even those who may do harm to me. Even those who I don't agree with. And I, by taking the cup, say yes to reaching out to my neighbor who doesn't know Jesus. Sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Being ministers of reconciliation. The covenant of love. When you look at the marriage covenant and how important it is for us to be in a right relationship with the other person, you can see how a division within that covenant relationship could be so terrible. If there is a, a, a division in the covenant relationship between Terry and I, it creates hard times. It is not pleasing to God. And so too, in this covenant with Christ, the body is the bride and we are to be unified, be in harmony. And when we are divided, when we come to the table, we are in essence throwing the foundation of the covenant, love, back into Christ's face. And that is why last week when we talked about that there were some that were sick and even died because they came to the table divided. That's why, because this is a big deal. Stepping into this covenant relationship is not to be taken lightly. It is serious. In conclusion, this morning 
As I said, in a moment we are going to be coming to the table and remembering what Christ has done. Remember that you are chosen by God. You have been chosen and there is an arrangement already made by God to be in right relationship with you. And Jesus has come to you and he has said, here, he's taken a drink and he said, this is the new covenant which is in my blood. And when you come to the table, you are saying yes to that covenant. You are saying yes to, I'm going to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. So as we prepare to come to the table, pray in your heart, Psalms 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me.